0: We're going to turn to, <clears throat> to Scripture, and we're going to read the first eight verses of 3 John. <clears> third <throat> John is the, the third letter that John wrote near the back end of the New Testament. As I mentioned last week, it's one of what somebody else has dubbed the postcard letters of the Bible, meaning they're so short you could just about write the whole message on a postcard. So we're going to read about half of this one chapter of 3 John, but we're going to tell pretty much the whole story. Uh, Would you read along with me? The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Lord God, we ask that as we open your word again today, that you would help us not only to understand, but to be encouraged and to find continual direction in terms of how you want us to lead our lives. Thank you for these words penned by the leaders who walked with Jesus, some who were the original disciples, some like Paul who were added in later, and we thank you for the way that the word of God instructs us, teaches us about who you are, your nature, and what you have done for us, and we ask that you would make us wise, and they also, I also ask that you would make us into the kind of people who embody the truths that, that we are working our way through, that We wouldn't just pass over this, we wouldn't just read it as part of our tradition, but that your goals and your aims for every Christ follower would be worked out in in our lives and in our church. Lord, you know the decisions we have to make this week. You know those who are struggling. We thank you for bringing Barb through the surgery that she went through this week, and uh, we ask that for the next week you will continue to grant us discernment, wisdom, and insight, that we would live wisely and well, and that you would fill our hearts so that we can actually love the way that you want us to love. So thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark Twain once wrote these words, The common eye sees only the outside of things and judges by that, but the seeing eye pierces through and reads the heart and the soul. So the gist of that is saying that the seeing eye, the eye that really sees, pierces through all the clutter, all the externals, and reads the heart and the soul. We don't talk about the human soul a whole lot in our world today. But I started with that quote from Mark Twain because I think he was on to something important. Many aspects of our contemporary life are concerned only with external or superficial things, how everything looks on the outside. And this morning, as we enter the second week of this three-part series that we're calling We Still Believe, we're looking at concerns that the early church leaders had for the next generation of Christians, as seen through these three short letters at the end of the New Testament, 2 John, 3 John, and then next week we'll look at Jude. Jude. And in this passage that we read from 3 John, it becomes quite apparent that uh, John, the last of the living apostles, last of the disciples who walked with Jesus, all the rest have died off at this point. He's concerned about his friend's soul. Interesting thought. So this is the central idea that's going to run through this morning's message. A healthy soul breathes life into others' For the sake of Jesus. A healthy soul has the capacity to breathe life and offer something of great value to other people for the sake of Christ. Now I mentioned a little bit of background last week. I'm just going to repeat a small part of that for those who may not have been here last Sunday. But at the time that John is writing, it's near the end of the first century, somewhere around 90 AD. The church as a movement was growing and spreading largely through house churches. Not large congregations with buildings and steeples and all of that, but home by home. And the time of the apostles was ending. Only John is left from the original band. And a new cadre of teachers and leaders was emerging. And yet, several of these churches were dealing with problems and challenges that kept cropping up. So one of the questions had to do with this matter of the soul And that raises that question for us here this morning. You might be thinking, what is a soul, and and what is a healthy soul? How do we recognize a healthy soul? What rises from a healthy soul? Now, we read about half of this letter just a moment ago, and the reason the letter was written is actually contained in the back half of the book, and I'm going to summarize that for you. In the, in the last section of this very short letter, John mentions the impact of an unhealthy soul who was either in the same church or in a small house church nearby. And so he's writing to Gaius because he doesn't want the house church that Gaius is leading to be impacted by all that negativity. And in a sense, he, he warns him about five viruses that can attack healthy churches. And it was happening in that community. The first is a me-first attitude, where someone insists that everything has to be done my way. Uh, The second of these viruses is a habitual resistance, that refusal to ever submit to God's word or or to share leadership with others. Uh, Sometimes, uh, what gets added to that is unhealthy criticism. And so, in this case, uh, John writes about accusations and even slander that was going out against Gaius and some of the other leaders who are trying to be faithful to the teaching of the apostles. And along with that was a fourth factor of isolationism. There is one particular leader that John was calling out, and he names him here in the, in the end of, of 3 John. His name was Diotrephes. And Diotrephes wouldn't allow any outside instruction or any outside fellowship. So when some of the teachers and evangelists and church planners would come, sent by John and the other disciples, to these small churches that were all around what was known as Asia Minor then, it would be Turkey today. This guy was throwing them out, and he was refusing to allow there to be any outside perspective that might have been a corrective. And along with that was probably the most dominant factor, a controlling spirit, where Diotrephes exhibited the opposite of the kind of hospitality that John commends as he sees it in Gaius and the house church that he's leading. He not only chased away Christians who were traveling or visiting, but he discouraged other church members from even welcoming them, welcoming them into their homes. And John calls him out. That's the negative part of the letter. The part that I want to deal with dominantly, though, is, the, is is found in the first eight verses, where John writes about marks of a healthy soul. And so I'd like to spend the bulk of our time this morning looking at three marks of a healthy soul that stand in contrast to the other person who's mentioned in the end of the letter. Here's the first one. Finding a mentor who cares about your soul. A mentor who cares about your soul. Here's how he starts off. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get encouraged that John was praying for his friend Gaius in ways that are very similar to some of the desires that we have for our friends when we pray for them. He's praying for his physical well-being, but he's praying for the health of the soul of of this friend. Sometimes we do that. We pray that something will go well at work, that somebody's illness will be, be healed or cured, or that there will be a wholeness in life that begins to take over. The high point of the letter stems from the relationship that we learn about between John and his friend Gaius. Historians tell us that in his later years of ministry, John was tied to the church in Ephesus, which was a major port city on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea in what is now Turkey. And from from the sea, it was easy to get into this port with ships, but there was also a land route that connected it to several of the other cities that were around that area in Asia Minor. This letter from John the Elder is written specifically to this man named Gaius. John identifies him as a dear friend, and he appears to be a younger church leader, maybe even a protege of John's. But there are differences in status between the two. John the Apostle simply identifies himself as the Elder. We noted last week that that can either mean an Elder Statesman in the Church who has a a position of title, Or he could be saying, I'm the old man in the community. Both of them fit in this case because he's the last authoritative disciple uh, from the original band that followed Jesus, but he's also the old man of the church that everybody reveres and loves and talks about. Right at the outset of the the letter, we discover that John cares about this man's soul. John tells him he's praying that his physical well-being will match the health of his soul. And that detail tells us something important about their relationship. John dared to go deep with Gaius. And he wasn't going to take the surface answers that we often give. How are you doing? Fine. And he goes deeper and wants to probe into what's really going on. John is that older friend or mentor who cares deeply and won't be satisfied with surfacey answers. Now, in the Bible... The soul is the non-physical part of a person's essential makeup. So you have a soul, whether you know that or not, whether you think of that, but we get confused about what the soul is. In the simplest description I can give you, it's the part of you that's inside of you that makes you uniquely you, no matter what goes on with your body, how well it is, how young or old it is, how sick it is. It's the part of you that really expresses who you are. The Greek philosophers, when they looked at the human makeup, they broke it down into three categories. They had a, what they called a tripartite division. So you had body, soul, and spirit. Uh, the Hebrew thinkers split that into two camps. So you had a body and this soul-spirit that kind of all merged together. Whatever decision you make on how you understand that, you get the sense that there, there's more to who we are than just the externals. So John tells us, that Gaius has a flourishing soul in the midst of a region that's experiencing some relational turmoil and chaos. And he's praying for the overall health and well-being of his friend. John's prayer is for Gaius to be healthy and flourishing in every possible way. Question. Do you have within your sphere of friendships a friend an older, wiser companion, or a mentor who cares about the condition of your soul? Somebody who you would let probe once in a while to find out what's really going on deep inside of you? About 18 years ago, we went through a really rough patch here at North River. And it was a very confusing time for several of us who were involved in leadership in the church. And on the heels of that, I went through the most difficult period of discouragement that I have ever known. And I very nearly walked away from ministry and just said, I'm going to bag this whole thing. It's too hard. And as we were beginning to come out of that period, I met an older, wiser pastor from Hartford who was 20 years older than me. And we started talking and realized that he did some pastoral coaching. And I said, would you meet with me? And he said, well, you're a long way away. We found a neutral space about halfway between Hartford and here, And every other Thursday, which was my day off, I I would drive to this midway point and we would spend a few hours together. Most of the time he would start off the meeting saying, this is your time, what's your agenda? What do you want to accomplish today? He wasn't projecting anything on to me. Sometimes he would just listen as I would tell what's going on in my life. Sometimes he began to chart a course toward greater health in my life. And we began memorizing scripture together. Sometimes there were a few verses Sometimes it was a whole chapter, and we would both memorize them, and we would recite them, would recite them together. I think people in the coffee shop thought we were nuts, because here you are reciting these Bible verses or whole paragraphs of Scripture with each other. But what he knew that I didn't know was that the way that Scripture, once it's internalized and memorized, especially in large, significant chunks, has a way of working in the quiet spaces in your brain. And this stuff was getting inside my head in a completely different way. And there were times when I, w- I was thinking about something else, and all of a sudden these verses we have been memorizing would come creeping back into my thoughts. And it was bringing a different kind of wholeness. And this man was there just for me. That, that was the point of it. And sometimes he asked really hard, probing questions. And he wouldn't stop until I gave him an honest answer, and I let him go beyond that facade that we often create. You know, the really hard plastic one that you've got when you don't want anyone to see what's going on inside. We continued this way for two years. And it got to the point where after two years, I I knew we were done, and I I remember saying to him him one day, um, how about if we do this once a month? And then a couple months later said, you know, I think we're there. And we stopped. But we stayed in touch for years, and it was kind of fascinating because he knew things about me and my life and the way that I think and the way that I process things that nobody else knew. Well, I tell you that. If you want to grow spiritually or if you're involved in some kind of leadership, you will need at some point in time an encouraging mentor or somebody who takes time to invest in the health of your soul or you will not keep growing, you will hit a stuck point and you do not go past it without help. Why? Spiritual growth demands intentionality. And sometimes it demands a cooperativeness where you're you're walking through a, a part of life in harmony with somebody else whom you give permission to ask the hard questions or sometimes to kick you in the rear end so that you move and you get off of that stuck point. Let me give a shout out to our GuyWire Men's Ministry. I was thrilled to see one of the photos that uh, went out on our, our website and uh, our Facebook page on Thursday night as the, the guys who are a part of the mentoring process got together and they had their kickoff for this next season that will run through the school year. And there was a whole group of guys that are going to start meeting uh, this week. Usually it's one person who's a mentor and two others that are a little bit behind in, in that journey of faith. Uh, sometimes they're three equals, but they begin to meet together once a week. And they, they work through a, a, a workbook and uh, they pray together. And sometimes they ask hard questions, good questions. But what I've noticed over the years that this has been happening is that there are depths, Uh, In terms of friendship, that have been growing among a number of the men in our church, and some guys who never opened up to anybody else have these two friends that they die for, that have come through the mentoring program. This is not the only way that mentoring happens, but the point is, it's a healthy, intentional process. Mentoring can take place as you seek someone out that you you respect. You might not be a man. And so the other half of our audience is saying, well, that's great for the guys, but what about me? Uh, You don't have to have a formal program. Is there somebody in your life whom you respect, maybe who's been a believer a little bit longer than you, where you could say, what if we met once a month? Would you be willing to spend time over coffee with me once a month? where we ask each other some of the important questions in life, things I don't talk about with, with anybody else. But if you begin to do that, you will find that There is a wholeness that God begins to bring in your life. Here's what we're testing. A healthy soul breathes life into others for the sake of Jesus. So this older, wiser pastor that I met with for two years, that's exactly what he was doing with me. He was breathing life into me, believing that he was helping our entire church by helping me through that time. Here's the second mark of a healthy soul continually walking in the truth. John goes on in his letter to Gaius, and he says, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John now comes back to this balance between love and truth that we began to explore last Sunday when we looked at 2 John. In the greeting, he identifies his friend Gaius. He says, whom I love in the truth. It becomes obvious to us that John, the elder, really cares about this younger friend. And there is a mentor-to-student relationship that is described here, but it goes beyond that. There's a bond that is created between the two of them based on the truth that they know in Christ that produces this profound love that they have for each other. And so he he can describe him this way, my friend whom I love in the truth. I, I, I really appreciate that description. I think it's rich. It tells us a lot about them. And then John identifies his greatest joy. His greatest joy is that his younger protege is walking in the truth. Now that verb that's used there is a present tense verb with continuing action. So it means he's walking and he continues to walk. And this happens every day he walks in the truth. What does this phrase mean, to walk in the truth? Well, John speaks about this concept of truth a whole lot, and he, he talks about love a whole lot. Uh, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, these first three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3rd John, and then Revelation, had a lot to say about truth. In the opening chapter of John's Gospel, he described Jesus as the true light that gives light to everyone, the light that shines in the darkness. John also quoted Jesus in that gospel, saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus there asserted that he's the way to knowing God the Father, that Jesus embodies the truth of God and is the living truth of God. That means that the exclusive pathway to knowing God is always through faith in Jesus. And this exclusive pathway has an inclusive offer. So he is saying there's one way to really know, and it's through him, the unique Son of God. And that might sound rather tight and, and exclusive, but the offer is wide. The offer is inclusive to all who hear, to all who want it. Nobody's pushed away. Jesus put it this way in, in Matthew chapter 7 Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. What Jesus wants us is to take the path that leads to the fullness of life, to to, to life everlasting, to life abundant, to life that is rich. And this theme came up in 2 John, as we saw last Sunday. There John wrote that he had great joy to find some of... The children walking in the truth, the same phrase we see here. So the second mark of a healthy soul is this continuous habit of walking in the truth of Jesus. First, this assumes that we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. The second feature is that we need to keep going back to the gospel accounts of Jesus to be reminded and to to have our memories tuned to the word of Jesus. Jesus. I think it ought to be a goal for every Christ follower to at the very least read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on a yearly basis because we don't want to exist on fumes of some dusty memory we have of something that Jesus said that you read five or six years ago. We we need to continually have his word, his wisdom, his language, his thoughts in, in our minds flowing through our thoughts. The third feature of walking through the truth is then to live out what we're learning daily in life. And this is what John commends Gaius for. He's heard that Gaius is living out his faith by walking in the truth, even in the midst of confusing and contentious times, even when there's somebody else who's slandering him from the nearest community. You see, a healthy soul breathes life into others for the sake of Jesus. And then there's one third mark of a healthy soul that That John writes about and it's how we see this health lived out in the life of his friend Gaius it involves hospitality toward other Christians so he finishes out the paragraph this way dear friend you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters even though they are strangers to you they have told the church about your love please send them on their way in a manner that honors God It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. It's interesting because Gaius has taken in guests who he did not know before who've been sent by John. John is in Ephesus most likely as he's writing, and we think that Gaius was a person who became the bishop in the church in Pergamum, appointed by John a little bit later, a day or so's walking distance, maybe a couple of days' walk from where John was. Gaius showed his brotherly love through hospitality towards strangers. In the first century church, evangelists and missionaries would travel from city to city, and they were completely dependent upon the hospitality of church members wherever they went. Remember, this was a time when hotels and guest services didn't exist in every town or city or community. And evidently, some of the people that Gaius housed temporarily had been commissioned by John, and then they'd reported back to John about how welcoming Gaius was and about the kind of hospitality that he showed. And they saw the love that was coming from this man, from this leader. And John is praising him for that. The message translation describes Gaius's work this way. It's good work you're doing, helping these travelers on their way, hospitality worthy of God himself. This is the kind of hospitality that Gaius then was offering. Hospitality that was worthy of giving to God. And John adds, this is what we ought to show to other Christians in our lives, starting within the church and, and starting with those who, who come in, into our sphere of influence And it's through practicing this kind of love and hospitality with each other that he grows the capacity for us to reach even outside the church later on. How can we model this kind of hospitality today? There are a number of ways that this can happen. Here's one. Offer your home as a place to stay when you know that there's a speaker or a musician or some special person coming to North River for some event that we're hosting. Before Hal and Debbie Johnson moved to Florida, they were my go-to people for hospitality here at North River. I always knew that they had told me that their house was open. If there was ever anybody in need, somebody who needed short-term housing, or we were bringing in some speaker, have them stay at our home. And I can't tell you how many times people would stay in their home and they'd say afterward, these people are amazing. I'll come here to North River again if you ever want me, and I'll cut my fee as long as I can stay with the Johnsons. Now, I got a taste of that last winter. I was at a conference down in Florida, and I called them and said, I'm going to be sitting in a hotel for three days, and I'd like to at least get out one day and enjoy the sunshine. Is it okay if I come over? We would love to have you. And I, they showered me with their hospitality for a day and it renewed the old friendship, and it was wonderful. I remember one time when I was flying to Chicago for a conference at Willow Creek Church. Dedrick Terry, who was our worship director before David Cote came on staff, was going to this conference with me. And somewhere, I don't know, a week or two before the conference, I got a call from a family who attended that church. And they got my name from the conference list and they called and offered to put us up for a week. And they said, how about if you cancel your hotel reservation and stay in our home? And I thought, okay, that's a bit different. This family picked us up at the airport. They took us to their home where we stayed for an entire week. They told us that Anytime that we wanted dinner with their family, we were welcome at the table. They would understand if we chose to do something else that night. And they gave us their second car, so I didn't have to rent a car. I have news for you. Attending that conference was a vastly different experience from every other conference I've ever gone to because we saw this love and action through the hospitality of this one family. It changed the way that I understood everything that I was being taught in that conference. Here's another way. Invite a friend you meet here at North River over for dinner sometime. somebody you don't know, someone who's not your best friend now, and just take the risk of getting to know each other. Or, another idea, take them to Panera after church today. It's kind of fascinating, probably half of Panera's North River people just about every Sunday it seems. Or one of the other restaurants around here too. Or, another idea, simply invite a person that you meet here out for coffee with you sometime and just... Trade stories as much as you dare to tell. Here's one more. Offer your home as a site for a new, a new small group fellowship. You could tell Todd, when you got a new group that's ready to start, I would love to host one in my house. I led a small group in Quincy for the last six years in the home of Rick and Anita Harmon, and they just did an amazing job of making us all feel at home and welcome. And then they, they moved last spring to South Carolina. And it's wonderful, Joe and Liz McCarthy opened up their home and now we meet in Weymouth. And half of the group this fall are brand new to the group. But it's fascinating what's happened in less than two months, the bond that has been created already. And I get news for you, it's not because of my teaching, it's because of their hospitality. And they're not, a, a, they're not alone in that. I've had the privilege of sitting in on some of the other small groups, the one that meets at, at Stephen Pat Haig's home and the richness of fellowship there. Uh, the one that meets at Rich and Chris Dontremont's home. And I get news for you. The folks who are doing this are on the front lines of our ministry because that's where real life change and healing and hope gets built into our, li- into our lives. So i just throw that challenge out there. See what God does with that. Uh, even if there's not a need right now, there might be a need a few months from now. And maybe you're next. And I, I'll tell you this. If you dare to open up like that, you will be blessed more than you could ever imagine. Here's the idea that we're chasing this morning. A healthy soul breathes life into others for the sake of Jesus. And God wants our souls to be healthy. And as we get healthier, he wants us to invest in the welfare of others. Make sense? Simple Christianity 101. Let's do it. Father God, thank you for this wonderful congregation. For the old things that we are learning new, for the new things that we are learning for the first time, for the ways that you enrich us through the investment of other people. We all go through a variety of twists and turns in life. Thank you for showing us that we need each other's help. And thank you for creating this kind of church where people want to help each other, where people want to invest in each other. God, I pray very, very simply that you would allow us in flourishing, wholehearted, healthy ways to do the one thing that you called the new command, to love one another as Jesus has loved us. This is our prayer, that you will allow us to do this well in his name. Amen.